competitive 40K network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. And now your host, Tim Penny and the Art of War coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War. I am Tim Penny, your returning host for episode 101. Uh, John is currently traveling to uh, take down, hopefully, the Lone Star Open. So I am joined by the one, the only, Nick Natavati, ITC champ, four-time Adepticon winner, Las Vegas Open winner, two-time WTC winner on two different teams, and founder of the namesake of this show, The Art of War. Welcome, Mr. Nick. Always good to have you aboard. Hello, Tim. That might be the nicest intro anyone's ever given me. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. You earned it, buddy. And uh, we are all joined uh, our good friend over here, uh, Kyle. Kyle uh, just recently uh, took Kyle Perry, that is um, the other Perry, took down the uh, Dice Hammer Open with a uh, list that we may not have heard for a while. But looking through it, man, this list has all the tools and it's got me a little bit, uh, a little bit scared. Uh, Kyle, welcome aboard. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a fun list. It's one that I've been running, I'd say for gosh, it's been maybe about five months now. And oh, and good, there's a story here. Yeah, tell us all about it. <laughs> well, it's gone through a couple of iterations. Yeah, so the list starts out. It's uh, Dreaming Shadows Mask Form, um, which means that I uh, don't take attrition tests, and then anytime something dies on a four up, they can shoot with one weapon or punch with one attack. And I start that out with a, a Shadow Seer, um, the typical Shadow Seer with the Shadow Stone Relic. So that extends the range of my auras to nine inches. Additionally, the spells are increased an additional three inches on their range as well, too. And so I take um, the additional Pivotal Roll, um, Veil of Illusion, which um, I think is absolutely amazing. It counts all my things as being six inches further away. Um, and then the standard minus one to wound uh, aura for infantry. And then I take a troop master as well, a troop master, pretty bare bones. Uh, I would have liked to have included the, the Twilight Fang relic on there, but to pay an additional two CP to get three relics uh, just was a little bit much um, when you know, there's so many other valuable stratagems to be using. So I just stuck with the normal choreographer of war, uh, rerolling wound aura, as well as I threw Darkness Bites on there just for that additional uh, two mortal wound damage output um, every time it fights in close combat. And then going into the troops, which is kind of the, the bread and butter of this list, is two 10-mans of, uh, of troops, five of which have Harlequin's Caresses, which I think are kind of just that ideal strength five minus two um, versatile weapon that you know if you need to use it against vehicles it's versatile there it's good against marines it's good against hordes it's just a overall pretty good weapon and so um, i threw five of those on each squad i like having a pretty good amount of ablative wounds so um, and i find that five is enough especially as i'm trying to um, kind of Daisy chain and, and keep things within aura range of the shadow seer and the troop master as well. And so I have two squads of those. Um, and then three squads of five fusion troops. Um, well, five troops, four of which have fusion pistols. I find that having that additional fifth model without any fusion weapon and just kind of bare bones comes in good when you just 
want to throw a grenade with that model. You still have your ablative wound if something uh, dies from exploding transport, things like that. So just four fusions and the rest bare bones for those three five mans. And then I have my Warlord, which is my Death Jester with the Luck of the Laughing God Warlord trait. So that allows him to reroll ones to hit, to wound, and damage, which the damage doesn't really come in too often, but um, it's nice in a pinch if you're using it with the, I think it's the Shrieking Doom stratagem. But uh, then the, I consider obligatory Death Jester Humbling Cruelty, the one that ignores Overwatch and subtracts two to a to an enemy movement then i have my five-man unit of sky weavers uh, four of which have glaives and all of them have haywire i got the three transports to put the five mans in and that brings me into my craft worlds detachment which is just a patrol of expert crafters and masterful shots i got a farseer sky runner and a warlock sky runner and a ranger squad in Deep Strike, two units of five Warp Spiders with Web of Deceit Exarch Bower. And then probably my favorite units in the army is the support weapons, just the Shadow shadow Weaver, little cheap 50-man support weapons, and there's three of those. All right, so there's a lot to, to going on here. We got Harlequins, we got Elder, we got Dreaming Shadows. What, like, you, you talked about Dreaming Shadows a lot and what it specifically gave you, but... What, why do you value that more than some of the more traditional masks, like the plus one attack just being so generically good and plus one to wound being the strat, or uh, Soaring Spike giving you all those movement shenanigans and advancing and shooting? You've got all these Skyweavers. So just thinking, you know, other options. Yeah, definitely. I think there's definitely great play in Frozen Stars and, and Soaring soaring Spite and I tried out all, all three of them and this is just kind of the one that I've narrowed down to that works best with my style of play. And especially in this edition, when you have something like, you know, it's just so valuable to be staying on a primary objective and you know, Harlequins are still fragile. So they die quickly. Um, just having that option of say, I have a five man unit, four of which have fusions um, sitting on an objective. Chances are they're probably going to die. But if, it, you know, if they're being, assaulted by maybe like a two or three man unit or something smaller to get into place of that. Um, and they have that chance of taking the enemy out along with it. Then yeah, I won't have the primaries there, but then they also won't be taking it from me either as well too. Um, so I think in this edition, just having that extra, that extra punch kind of gives value to these already expensive units to begin with. But then, um, you know, just with the primary game, it's it, it comes in handy um, frequently. And then also, too, the the Dreaming Shadow ignoring attrition test, that has come in handy. And then the second part of Dreaming Shadow, uh, being able to ignore the attrition tests, I think is pretty valuable as well, too, with the 10-man squads. Um, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, Harlequins are so dependent on their CP usage. And so if I can save two CP to keep uh, you know, one left model standing on that objective rather than having to spend the two to um, pass their leadership. It, it's really worth it. Um, and uh, it's come in clutch a couple times for me. And so I really do like that component of it. I will say this, the, <laughs> the one downside of Dreaming Shadow is you really have to be pretty cognizant of your clock because it does tack on quite a bit of extra play time on your end as well too. And 
um, you know, it's on you to you make sure that you're, um, you know, having the clock on you when you're rolling for all those extra attacks and everything like that. So um, it definitely, <laughs> you got to mentally prepare yourself for every game if you're playing Dreaming Shadow, but it certainly is rewarding when you can pull it off. Absolutely. And then one thing I love about the way you speak about your list and everything is that you can tell like all your all your choices are so micro defined, like the not taking the fifth fusion pistol in your guy because in case someone dies in a vehicle explosion or you want to fire a grenade, things like that is something you learn over like who knows how many reps. Same thing with like the justification for playing something esoteric like Dreaming Shadow. So can you walk us through like the journey of yourself as a Harlequin player? Maybe not like super formally or long winded, but just like how did yeah. you get to this iteration of Harlequins? Definitely. It, so this list actually first started out, I was utilizing the Yinkarn with it. And, and that was the HQ choice for the, for the craft worlds. And not much else was different of it. It was just slight modifications and slight changes um, throughout the course of, of several months and months and going to different GTs with it and whatnot. But it really has been broken down to even just the place, like the size of my support weapon squads being no more than two men, you know, cause when you have that third, third support weapon and you have to deploy, deploy them all together, it's, it's a lot more difficult to hide that behind any kind of obscuring terrain um, than having two of them. Cause you know, you have kind of like that triangle shape. And so that third one kind of sticks out behind things and makes it more visible. So it's kind of like, I guess I've had enough reps with, reps with this list where I can, um, you know, through trial and error, really eliminate the things that were um, not just underperforming, but also, um, you know, kind of just limiting even my deployment on things. And so I think the support weapons are so valuable in it. And I think um, that's having that indirect fire and just kind of that, like, those final shots to finish off that one wound somewhere you need it is is very vital. Um, but Specifically with the Harlequins, I'd say that's like the component of the list that hasn't changed too much. And I've always had my three five-man squads, and the other four of them have fusions. And I've tried in the past throwing um, close combat weapons in there as well, too. But they just get to be so expensive per model. Um, you know, once you have a caress and a fusion pistol, that brings them what to like 20 points a model um, for one wound is, is, is pretty hard to justify for me when they when they die so quickly and so um because oftentimes i'm using these little five-man units as just going and running on an objective just to have three models that are ob sec over their two models and you know knowing full well that they're going to die in the process it's hard to justify a 125 point model doing that as opposed to a little 90 man point unit um whereas you know they're versatile enough where if there's a prime target for fusion pistols they can also handle that as well too um, and then the two ten mans, I think they're they they kind of slingshot each other. I'll usually start with one of them um, being thrown up the board, and you'll throw you know, all the buffs on them, the prismatic blur. You'll um, put them onto that objective in the middle of the board. Um, you know, ideally still within shadow seer uh, aura ranges to to give all the minus six inch range to shooting and then the minus one to move and all that. Um, but then, um, but then they'll inevitably die. And, and then you have the second unit to kind of do the same thing. Um, so I think any less than like 
one 10 man unit just wouldn't quite do this list justice, but two is just enough. Any more than that, I think it's you're putting too many points into um, a larger board presence that wouldn't really perform as effectively. Um, and so, so the Harlequins are really kind of the main, I would say, like damage portion of the list. And the craft world really supplement that with secondaries. Um, I almost always take engage in all fronts. Uh, what is it? Deploy Octavia. Let's call it Octavia. Octavia's data. Octavia's data. Oh, we, just, we just call it Rod nowadays. Right. That's going to be the start. I'm trying to remember all that. I still haven't gotten familiar with all the names of the new secondaries and still call it while we stand, we fight. And, <laughs> but I'll get there. Um, but the, the craft world's component of this list is 100% just for getting those secondaries. And even uh, like the, the engage in all fronts. Yeah. That's fantastic for warp spiders. And um, what is it? The rod is also amazing for warp spiders. I genuinely think they're probably one of the best units in the game for, for getting those secondaries uh, just with that first turn um, redeploy uh, through web of deceit and uh and just like their 46 plus seven move um it's it's amazing i love it. they're one of my favorite units in this list um but then also the rangers kind of come in clutch too is that one deep striking unit to get a backfield let's talk about some of these choices a little bit in depth here i think like there's a lot of units here that people have talked about and like they have specific purposes like the warp spiders and being able to move super far and do an action for example but like mm. you don't often see these things in most competitive Eldar lists. Not that this looks like most competitive Eldar lists, but like something like Sean Naden's running Eldar and Harlequins right now at Lone Star Open. He's running normal, I say normal, in air quotes, Dark Reapers, Night Spinners, that kind of thing. Way less on like Warp Spiders and 10-man troops. You know, that's the, those are units that make sense, but also no one is running them. So what's the thought process behind trying all these units out? And like, how does it come together? Yeah, well, the reality is warp spiders are still pretty expensive for for a toughness three uh, three up armor save one moon model. They're still, I think, eighteen points each, and so I can see some people um, having a hard time justifying it, especially in you know, their guns are only twelve inch range. But um, I find that I have enough damage output through other components of the list that these are really solely there for um, for getting those secondaries and and allowing myself to get that engage in all fronts turn one um i'm never throwing both units uh out at once usually one at a time just to get that third quadrant um for engaging all fronts and whatnot but the i guess to more specifically answer that question with regards to this list the harlequins kind of move together as like one cohesive unit i feel like it kind of more it's a subtle like i'm not very aggressive with harlequins which i think um separates me a little bit from you know how like the soaring spite style of play in which you know, it's so easy to just get right up in there and you know have 15 fusion pistols and whatnot this kind of more moves slowly along the backfield um i love what you said there the just like one of the, like playing harlequins more defensively one i'm a defensive player so i totally get that but also just um harlequins are an army that's so fast they can choose to play the game completely through speed they can run forward like you know, charge turn one charges all over the place, or they can just hide behind a wall and wait the game out for a couple turns. So, like, yeah. how do you determine at what pace to play the game? Like, what lets you? How do you set that? That's a lot of control. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I ask 
several questions before the game starts, one of which is how much indirect fire they have, um, what kind of snipers they have, because a big hindrance of this list is that there's six characters. And so I have to be very cognizant of um, people's ability to, to kill out characters and whatnot. And so that will inevitably affect quite a bit of how I'm moving um, and placing my characters and things like that. Um, but usually what I'll, the pace that I'll take, I'd say against the majority of opponents I face, um, is that turns one and two, I'm leaving very little room for opponents to shoot me and I'm not doing too much on the output. Like usually I'll actually trail behind in points on secondaries and primaries turns, um, We'll turn two for primary, but turns one as well, too. Um, and just pepper things down. This list is pretty good at attrition um, with those support weapons kind of taking out, um, usually focusing on um, chaff, things like that, like little 10-man uh, squads that people would be performing their actions with. And if I can limit that, um, then by the time they start kind of creeping out into the middle of the board, that's when I can throw my attack in there with my... 10-man squads, my bikes, my um, fusions, things like that. Um, but, you know, the the support weapons also come in very clutch, too, if they're, you know, because one of the big things that I um, have to take care of first are enemy snipers. And I, again, I have six characters, and all of them are pretty, they, they, ha they all serve a purpose in some way. Um, and so, you know, I know eliminators are really a huge part of the meta right now, but they certainly do. Um, you do see them somewhat in lists. And so the support weapons are pretty good at that when they're ignoring cover and expert crafters. And the, if I get that four to, or the six to wound, it goes AP four and right through their armor. Um, so I'll usually, once I've eliminated those things that would uh, be a threat to my characters, that's then when I'll usually like turn three um, is when I start plopping out and, and kind of more throwing a Hail Mary up because I can't, stay protected for forever um you know the first two turns are also pretty uh easy to stay defensively too when i'm uh count all my things as being six inches further away with that shadow seer uh, veil of illusion and so you know against things like um the chronos span that I, I think a lot of people are gonna start doing those are range 18 inches and range 12 inches so with that shadow seer aura uh, limiting that an additional six inches it you know saves me an extra turn of being shot by them um and so if i can kind of just prioritize what targets are going to be a threat to me this coming turn in their you know in their shooting phase and their assault phase and kind of focus on those and you know do a little bit of attrition towards the the rest of the army then that's typically how um how i play the list and then it comes out as a punch all on one turn usually turn three Okay. I hope that well, answers the question. Yeah, it does. Uh, I want to hear a little bit, um, and something that always kind of interests me, especially because I feel like Ninth Edition is kind of pushing us more and more into mono faction. Um, yeah. So these these mixed faction lists are are becoming a little bit more and more rare. And something I've always felt when I'm building them, even just with two factions in the same book, let alone two completely different books, is that tension you get where you are trying to bring in your secondary attachment because you always have that primary detachment, the secondary detachment. And there's always that tension of, well, how many, how many characters do I bring to support it? You know, like this detachment is the support. How many points do I want to allocate to support mm -hmm. the support? You know what I mean? So, and yeah. I see your characters, it looks like 
And they, the characters have a lot of stuff going on. It looks like they're doing a lot of work here. Uh, yeah. I really want to hear. I, re- I really want to hear you break down those characters and how you came to the decision of like what you brought, what you cut. Because I was like, well, he doesn't have Doom, but then again, you don't have many guns. And I was, I just want to hear your thought process on that. I'd love to, yeah, because I think really uh, the I'd say the bulk of what kind of uh, brings most success to this list, I'd say, would be through the characters, and um, each one of them serves uh, a valuable purpose, and they're not just thrown in there. They're they're all um, you know very carefully selected in terms of you know and luckily with the harlequin characters you can customize them to make them how you want to play them but the uh i'll I'll go through each one of them and i'll explain their purpose on that and also too just to preface yeah i i do understand that like soup is kind of dying out a little bit and i know that eventually this list will probably become obsolete just as uh you know the new codexes come out and I'm, i'm really looking forward to just running pure harlequins eventually uh, as they currently play right now, I just wouldn't enjoy it as much just because I feel like there's really uh, a limited way, limited amount of ways you can play them just because of the few unit options that they have. Uh, so for me, the craft world components of it really just are that that perfect factor that makes me enjoy playing the Harlequin aspect of it too. But so running through each of the characters, yeah, because there are six of them and the Shadow Seer, I think, is just, you know, obligatory part of any Harlequin army. I think, especially with that Veil of Illusion, counting everything as being six inches further away. Um, the, the the Shadowstone Relic to extend the range of all that, just giving some extra mortal wound output through smites and um, and whatnot. It's it's just a especially if you're running two 10 man units too, you need that, you need those auras uh, constantly up on them. And so they never leave the Shadow Seer's side. Um, that's they kind of just go run hand in hand with each other. But then the troop master is another um, major part of it. And the reason that I threw darkness bite, this actually is coming kind of handy. And the only reason I would run it, I think just by itself without the twilight fang or any other kind of really good close combat weapon. Cause I only have a, a power sword on him is it actually, it pairs very nicely with the dreaming shadow uh, mask trait. And so you know, as, as you know, if you die and you roll a four up, you can activate and punch again. That's only with one punch. But the way Darkness bike Bites reads is that anytime you activate in the fight phase, you cause an additional two mortal wounds. So, you know, you'd say you punch, do a couple mortal wounds to an important character, and then they inevitably kill you because you're not <laughs> very tough. You're still just a troop master. Um, you roll that four up, and that's the guaranteed two mortal wounds going back. Um, this is so next level. I love it. This is like four, 14 layers deep into Harlequin Trickery. Yeah, we I've were, never seen this we were, level. We were talking pregame how I was, or pre uh, recording how, how excited I was for this episode. Just, and I just, I knew, I, thought I, knew I, knew you went, I really did. I'm like, uh, what is going on right now? Okay. Kyle, I, I, I knew you wouldn't disappoint us. So I, he played not, it to, distra- Kyle, not to distract, it. but just, just keep going. Just, praise, I'm just, ba- I'm just baiting in this. No, I love it. I'm, uh, I, I, I gotta say, I probably like Harlequins have always been my my pride. Like how many joy. reps do you think you've had with this army to one be bazillion. talking about one this? bazillion? Too many. I like, um, give me a I guess. did um, I did actually win another GT with this list as well uh, a while back. It was the uh, the Marietta GT, and the only difference in that one is that I didn't have a warlock yet. I didn't have a warlock Skyrunner in there. Um, 
They're doing GTs in Marietta now. I used to live in Temecula. Oh yeah, yeah. They, uh, wow, okay, well that wow, I, the scene down there has blown up since I've been over there. Anyhow, it's a great crew down there. Yeah, um, a good friend of mine, Chris Powell. He he ran an amazing GT down there. He's the man. I, I, he's great, uh, great guy, and he runs a great tournament as well too. But um, yeah, the list didn't deviate too much. So I, again, I, I have had quite a few reps with this, and um, you know, I try to tell people kind of my angle with this this list of it. <laughs> you really do kind of, especially when you're playing Dreaming Shadow, you just have to sit down and mentally prepare for each game because there's so many layers and so many components, like, and you just can't anticipate everything. Like, yeah, ideally you want all your guys to shoot on the way down and get their haywire up. <laughs> One of the games I was playing this past, or on the tournament, um, was uh, was against Death Watch, and that was probably my most difficult matchup. Um, a really good well, player, let's Danny. Let's save that for part two and go back to the characters because I do want to hear about yeah. the, the magical street master and all yeah, of yeah. these. <laughs> <laughs> I see the warlock with horrifying and bolden, and I cannot wait. Yeah. We'll, de- oh, yeah, we'll yeah. definitely, we'll definitely earmark the uh, the death guard thing because that that is going to lead into another question I have after the characters. Yeah, you bet, you bet. So yeah, the true master, yeah, as you can see, he's bare bones for the most part, other than darkness bites. But uh, the reason taking darkness bites is because dreaming shadow it's that extra two mortal wound punch on a four up, which is. You Which don't is think nice. it's worth it for the Twilight Fane just to make him that next level? Yeah, it really, you know, I've, I've been going back and forth with it. And um, I've actually been running a very similar variant of this list as Frozen Stars. And it has had the Twilight Fang on there. And it's just such a good weapon for, for you know, and, and you're saving points by only having to get the Harlequin's Blade. So that saves five points on this guy, too. Um, I... In this list, I, I still don't know if it's worth the two CP to get because I can't get rid of the Shadow Stone on the Shadow Seer. Um, that extra range is just is is imperative. And then the Jester with Curtain Fall, it, it's another part of like the bread and butter of, of the damage output of this list. So um, in a list we'll get that is CP management after that. So that means that's a good answer for now, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a true master. And then going on to the, the Death Jesters. I'll start with just the obvious one, the uh, normal death jester with humbling cruelty. Um, he said it's very important to have that ignore overwatch. Um, and he's got enough movement. And yeah, it's only 24 inch range. But usually between that and being in a transport, you can get to your target that you need to, whatever the 10 man units are going to be charging or um, even the troop master. And then that, my most fun, probably my most fun character in this list is the uh, the sniper death jester the he's the warlord with luck of the laughing god so that's the warlord trait that allows him to reroll ones to hit to wound and uh damage as well too and you pair that with the just inescapable war uh pivotal roll which makes him ignore cover any sixes to wound will cause a mortal wound in addition to the damage and then extends the range of it to the additional 12 inches too so it's 42 inch range gun um you know re-rolling ones to hit new wound but the fun part the really fun part is the dreaming shadow specific stratagem uh, called an example made and that is the stratagem that lets any character uh, on a successful hit roll causes an additional hit and then if they roll a six to hit it causes two additional hits so you know that's on average you're getting six or seven shots out of that and um on a pretty versatile weapon with the the curtain fall relic which is the dreaming shadow specific relic weapon that makes it strength seven ap2 um the nice part about that is that any death from this uh that this weapon causes it doesn't matter if it's in the shrieker round 
or the uh, the normal shuriken round, it'll cause an additional minus two leadership to the unit. So you know that's nice in a punch if you need to shoot that at like a you know little chaff squad things like that. And and really the biggest thing about this death jester, I wanted to make him versatile. And you know on a surface level, it seems as though this guy is just a character sniper who. You know, that's his sole purpose is just to shoot characters. And while he does come in clutch um, very often with taking out that librarian or that important Sisters of Battle character, it, you know, it there's so much more versatility to it and that is strength seven. So that also makes him kind of decent against vehicles and, um, and, and then also chaff as well, too, when he's, you know, lowering the leadership by two if he any successful kill on them. Um, so, you know, that kind of ties in a lot with, the secondaries that I pick and if it's dependent on, um, you know, if they have a lot of vehicles, uh, you know, obviously I'm taking, bring it down. And then that makes an additional, um, viable shooting option. That's pretty decent in killing vehicles too. Um, obviously he's going to assassinate as well, but then, um, but yeah, so I, I really wanted to make him bristle. I know there's like a question whether or not curtain fall relic is better or the, um, What's that other one? There's another one called the Kegeras Lament, I think it is. Um, a Segerax Lament or something like that. Yeah, which is yeah. a really, still a really good weapon, and that increases the range even further. But um, I genuinely think that extra strength between six and seven does make a difference quite a bit on making this guy versatile. But anyways, moving along, characters. Uh, those are the those are all the Harlequin characters, and here we go <laughs> to the Farseer and Warlock and. These two, I this was the first tournament that I've actually paired them both together. I previously just had either the Farseer or the Warlock. But with the main thinking with this was that I was taking psychic interrogation pretty frequently. And, you know, the Farseer or the Warlock by themselves are good at doing it. But, uh, you know, just by being able to move 22 inches and get in range to, um, to do that psychic interrogation and, you know, having having it be 24 inch range now instead of 18. I know you still need line of sight, which really isn't too much of a problem for these things when they're moving 22 inches. They, uh, it, it, it was, it felt very limiting when I would have to do that on my Farseer Skyrunner and not get to use Executioner or Smite, um, you know, Runes of the Farseer, things like that. So the main thinking with including both of them is, Again, more versatility, uh, depending on who I'm up against. Now I have the ability um, to just cast Psychic Interrogation on the Warlock, who doesn't really have too valuable of spells um, for the rest of the army. I, I gave him Emboldened Horrify <laughs> to, in a pinch, help out with the Farseer's Mind War if I need that. Um, and then also Focus Will as well, too, to help with the Smites or whatever for the Farseer. But in most cases he'll be the one casting uh, psychic interrogation. So that frees up the Farseer to also uh, be able to cast his more valuable spells. And, you know, if there's a caster in range to deny it, you can use, um, uh, what do you call it? The Seer Council stratagem that gives plus one to cast for that. So having that plus one does make a little bit of a difference and makes it really hard to fail if you um, really only need to roll a three for it to successfully cast because I think it's a four cast value. And then... You know, if if it's like a very dire cast that needs to go off and there's, um, you know, psychers within range that are a plus one or plus two to cast or anything like that, then I can do the Farseer, um, have him try it, still doing 
uh, what do you call it, seer council for the plus one, but then he also has runes of the farseer to re-roll in case, you know, they roll any higher than you. Um, So so that's really the thinking between having those two characters. It's really, they're just versatile, and I found having that extra mortal wound output from the farseer, executioner is just such an amazing ability. Um, I still think uh, a lot of the that craft world powers are still a little bit overcosted. I think mind war should probably be a six cast value instead of a seven. But um, I mean, I, I got to say, even even that spell, I think it's underlooked every once in a while. Um, yeah, mostly Remind just me how mind war works. I don't even remember that one. It <laughs> so it's nothing too special, but it's a, you pick a character within eighteen inches, and you don't need line of sight for it, and you just roll off on your leadership and however much of a difference the enemy character loses by is how many mortal wounds they take, um, which isn't really great by itself. But um, I've started, you know, when I when you cast Embolden from the Warlock onto the Farseer, that increases his leadership by two. So now all of a sudden he's leadership, uh, leadership 11. And then I've started also taking Shards of Light as a spell on my Shadow Seer, which does the D3 mortal wounds. It's a targetable smite, but then also lowers their leadership by one as well, too. So now all of a sudden you leadership 11, and the enemy, you know, let's just assume they're nine base, but they're minus one because of Shards of Light, bring them to eight. So you already have um, a three-point advantage on them right there, and that. I think came in pretty clutch in a Drew, the final Drukari game. Um, I think he There's so up. many sneaky mortals in yeah, there. You got this going on. You got the double fighting troop master man with the. I, I think in a straight roll off, you have about like what, like a fifty percent chance to beat them, and then if it goes off, you're averaging about like one to two mortals. So when you have like that three leadership advantage, you're, that's it seems like four to five mortals. Like doesn't seem yeah. unreasonable, right? It's not at all, and I um I got a pretty lucky roll um, just by using this. And in the final game against Drukari, um, I I was able to um, to one shot a succubus. Uh, that succubus with all the great you know like mortal wound output, that crazy one. Um, uh, and I just moral, got a really victory right there. Yeah, wow. so I just mind this is real. This five. is a real combo. You know yeah, what I it like is? This. I wouldn't re- So I I wouldn't. It's a lot of points though. It. This is two hundred points. Again, yeah, and and I think I would say that that's like a fringe case in which I would actually, re- and I would never actually rely on that. That I wasn't expecting that to kill it, but I also had the death jester in range to shoot that um, sucky. But I was expecting maybe do like two, maybe three wounds tops, and then that death jester would finish her off, um, right. which you know didn't need to because he got it all on the smite or in the uh, the mind war, and so that freed up that jester that jester to shoot something else. And um, I should also preface too, like. I'd say, you know, this is a nice, it's like kind of nice to have in your toolbox, but again, I would never rely on that. Um, and, and it's, it's just a supplement additional if I wasn't taking psychic interrogation to be doing that ability, because, you know, obviously I'm not going to take psychic interrogation and assassinate because one, you're trying to kill characters and the other one, you're trying to keep them alive and, and, you know, psychically interrogate them each turn and whatnot. So this is like, if I'm up against, I don't know, something like Sisters, Ardent, what is it, Ardent? The one where they can deny Andrew. things on a fora. Yeah, I probably wouldn't take the psychic... Uh, oh, they, can uh, deny, psychic they, can de- they can deny a lot of spells. Um, 
Right. I think I think yeah, it's, it doesn't matter which chapter are. They can deny a lot of stuff just straight up. Exactly. Yeah. So I probably wouldn't be taking psychic interrogation in that situation. I would more likely take assassinate, in which now I'm not limited by throwing all my eggs in one basket and these two characters be solely dependent or like focused on doing psychic interrogation. They're also decent at assassination now too. Um, if that makes any sense. And I know that obviously spells like doom and guide and, and, and jinx and things like that are objectively better spells, but they just don't really work in this list because I don't really have many Eldar options that are shooting things, you know, like maybe yeah. I'll, you don't have, it doesn't some, look like you have enough guns for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I more think like a lot of people would overlook taking the whole Farseer warlock package if they're not taking like doom, jinx guide, whatever. And they don't, yeah. they realize like, okay, I have no guns in this army. I won't take that. But you've gone like, what, what else can they do? And that's really cool. Yeah. They're still objectively great characters as, as you've shown us. And I mean, they are just, I'm looking at this, they're loaded down like a pair of flying Swiss army knives. It's uh, it's yeah. very cool. Even just honestly, even just moving 22, like turn four, turn five, when I just, you need a kamikaze, if they haven't taken assassination, I just need to throw something over and, and then engage in all fronts point yeah like goodbye warlock i'm sorry <laughs> but give me that point you know and so their movement alone is is very valuable as well um a little scary with the warlock being only three wounds though i think For uh, sure. i think uh it's hard to judge and i before when i was just running a warlock um it, you know it was it was hard to justify taking psychic interrogation because if you know, if I die from a psych, uh, what do you call it? Um, Perils of the War. Perils. You know, there's a good chance he's he's taking out things with him, and um, so that's why you know I, having the three casters available to do it is is a lot easier to justify. Right on. Well, we talked about uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, and I actually I mentioned the question I had. I think I'm actually going to save that for part two. It's more relevant there, but we did want to talk about the uh, the CP budget and expenditure. I know it's. Especially with a list like this, it's probably more like we'll do it live, you know, like matchup by matchup. Mm-hmm. Just kind of walk us through generically uh, if if you have a CP budget or CP plan. And if yeah. you don't, how it generally tends to go game by game. Yeah. So <laughs> I there's very few cases that I've... Um, I'm able to pull this off, but there is one really fun trick that I think collectively will take about seven CP um, to make it all happen. Right. Uh, but am, it's a I'm way all, I got my notepad ready. Let's go. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've already, I've already figured that if you're running this list, you're running it cause you want to style on people. So let's yeah, this, it, this it, is like such big brain facts over here. This is insane. It's a fun, I gotta say like, it's um, I've really enjoyed playing it. I guess that's why I've played it so consistently for so long now is cause I just haven't gotten tired of it. Um, but there, so, okay, let me make sure it is three, two, three. Yeah. Something about three, six or seven CP, but you do this with a 10 man unit of, uh, of, um, of troop. And what you do is you go, you, you know, you advance, you, you throw a prismatic blur on them if you need to, I guess you don't need to, but, um, just, you know, advance, get near your opponent. Um, You're spending seven have... CP. You need to, like, what, <laughs> what is this combo? <laughs> yeah. We're, we're all in at this point. Let's just, let's just say, I'll just use an example of like 10 intercessors. That, that's what the opponent's going to be. All right. So you want your 10-man unit of troops to go fight this 10-man intercessor blob. Obviously, just one volley of attacks is probably not going to do it because I only have five of them with caresses. But so what I do is obviously I shoot that unit with the, uh, the death jester so it's, they're not being overwatched. And then also um, minus two movement. 
and you charge in with a 10 man unit and up their damage by one. So it's damage two. So you have 20 attacks coming through, um, ideally with a troop master nearby um, to, to reroll all wounds. 20 attacks of the crosses, all damage too. So that obviously is not going to take out the full 10-man unit. Um, but, you know, you, you do your attacks. And then before your opponent gets to fight back, what you do is you do the curtain falls. And curtain falls is what lets you move instead of consolidate or just lets you do a normal move rather than a, a consolidate move. So what you do is you you did all your attacks, use the curtain fall stratagem, which costs you two CP, to be just outside of one inch from that unit um, so that they can no longer activate. Then what you do is you spend another 3P for them to activate again, for them to do that same amount of attacks, um, usually wiping out the squad without then being able to be attacked back. <laughs> That's so clever. <laughs> So you just have to be, you just have to curtain falls them more than It's like the Tyranid Overrun trick, but like just Harlequins have to pay so much for it and it's like eight inches. I don't, I don't think I've been, I don't think I've had my lid blown this hard since that one time I saw someone overrun a Harridan right off the board (laughs) when I was playing against Tyranids. I was like, what, what, like, I I didn't even believe him. I was like, (laughs) I was like, I knew it was correct. Because I know what everyone does, but like at the same time, I, like my mind just hadn't processed what just happened. That's yeah. how I feel about this. Like yeah, I totally exactly. get every step of what's going on here. It makes perfect sense to me. But it's like this is so extra. So there's there's a little bit more to it too. There's a little. Bit there's more to it. I'm sorry. Oh, keep going. going to cut you off. Well, let's get some dessert with this dinner. No, this is a, this is this is the tail end of it. But I'd say the the grand finale of their performance. <laughs> Getting into character when you play Harlequin. Very no, but um. So ideally, once you kill that unit, there's also a unit nearby that isn't super threatening in close combat. So then after you've activated that second time and taken that unit out, then you pile in to that unit. If they punch you, whatever, you know, you have prismatic blur up and hopefully within range of uh, of the shadows here or as well, too. But then um, on their turn, uh, when they fall back, what you do is you use a stratagem called the Twilight Encore which lets you re-engage them within six inches. So then they can't be attacked or they can't be shot. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. Does that make it's sense? Just, I feel like in my, in my mind, it makes sense. And I'm, I think, yeah, I think it, you lost me just cause I'm still mind blown from the entire process of what's happening. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm over here in the other tab and I'm, I just happen to notice that like, even though like Admech and dark elder are out of stock they're like everything in Harlequins is on stock on the GW website. <laughs> <laughs> Go get them, so I'm not. We're going to Charity Hammer like next week, like maybe the week this episode is. I don't even know. And I'm doing like the exhibition match with Colin Sherman, and I'm playing Harlequins. Like I signed up <laughs> to play Harlequins this game, and I'm now so excited. Yeah, do this, do this to him. I, I just want to see his. I want to see his face. Yeah. Well, he's playing Tyranid, so one of the questions I'm going to ask is how you, in part two, is going to be the Tyranid matchup, and you're going to tell me how to beat him. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great one. You know, and just to say, too, like, I um, I do think, all, like, most of these tactics would be done just as well, if not better, as Frozen Stars. So as fun as Dreaming Shadows is, um, I am probably, for the next GT, going to be trying this almost exact same thing, but as Frozen Stars, just to kind of get a comparison. Um, between a little more killing power into the list a little bit more yeah (laughs) maybe i wouldn't need to activate twice it would just do it all in the first 
Yeah, yeah, with these with these finesse lists, I, I definitely find that sometimes you just you, you have to you have to play five straight rounds because you just aren't killing as much as other armies, and so you just yeah. have to literally you know like other armies you can just kind of like outplay and your opponent for three turns, and then the game slows down, and you can kind of take your foot off the gas a little bit. On these yeah. ones, man, you're I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of times, like even though you're playing fast, I'm assuming you're probably using up most of your clock time, and you're playing a full five rounds, and I, I imagine it's very fatiguing. Oh, completely, yeah, and and. I'll fully admit, I um, there are some very close games for me where I'm almost out of that time, um, and and I like to think that you know I've I've played this list so many times, so I have the reps in, so you know I know what everything's doing. So it's it's more just I don't think it's necessarily that I'm delaying in my in my play. It's more just like there are so many components that I have to like that just take time to do. You know, especially as I'm trying to shoot when I die. Um, every time that happens, the clock gets thrown on me, um, and so you know it. That's another reason why I'm just like, you know, in, in when you do a major GT, it's just like there's so many games and just you need all your mental capacity. That's kind of why I'm leaning towards wanting to try this as Frozen Stars, just because uh, there's... I think you're hitting on a real thing here. Like armies like Harlequins and, and this super high level of finesse armies, they're awesome. They're super rewarding to play. I love it. I want to try it. But at a super major, like you go to ACO or LVO or some one of these things, nine rounds, yeah, and they only get harder hard and harder and harder the more tired you get. Like you have yeah. to be on. There's very low forgiveness with these armies. So the yeah. giving yourself any breaks, like going to Frozen Stars, just to make it simple for yourself. I think that's like for tournament yeah. play, that is the right call, even I if your list is technically worse. I agree. I think yeah. it's, I think it's definitely smart because I mean, like even if you show up to the table and the other guys bring in. You know, some cookie cutter, you know, A tier medalist, you know, and maybe he's not the strongest player. Maybe you you outskill him by a differential or two, but you're gonna have to play probably about four times as hard as as he is. Yeah. And then when you beat him, now you pair into someone who's at your skill level and is playing an easier list with maybe more killing power. So I mean hats hats off to you. It is it is a real way to play, but it's a it's a very it's very rewarding, but definitely very hard. Yeah. It's very hard way to play. Yeah, and and certainly you just you know, you end up finding yourself making yourself more prone to error as well, too. And there's just so many factors that you're looking into. And it's fun and it's rewarding and it's stylish and it's cool and all that. But like, there are times I'm just like, you know what? I just want to sit on that objective and have five more points. I don't want to have to do 13 different things to make that happen. And I have my <laughs> clock run out, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's going to play the, the Frozen Stars list I have, it's going to play pretty much the exact same. It's just, you know, Hopefully more time on the clock. All right. I have one go. more question for you because yeah. I'm going to learn how to play this army and play it. <laughs> uh, before we move on to part two, how do you play the primaries? Your army seems to like not really have any durability to it. So how do you <laughs> hold dies. an objective? It dies quick. You know, I am um, rather than I think I should mention too, just going back to the fact that the Harlequins really kind of move as one unit. Um, with the exception of the bikes, sometimes the bikes will just go throw you know, in the middle of their lines. Depends on the matchup, but you know if you can tie up some valuable targets, um, you know I'll usually throw them away. Um, but other than that, for the most part, it all kind of just like moves together. So at best, I'm spreading out over like two objectives. Um, but those two objectives are being sat on pretty hard um, between um, you know things with you know the veil of illusion aura up and you know, having like three vehicles sitting on one of them uh, with five guys in each um, in each transport. So if you know you kill one of them, it's hard to to remove everything from the objective. And so I guess I would say this: it it does make um, a lot of 
the when you're holding two you get five points as opposed to holding one you get five points it does limit it does make those missions a little bit more difficult but i would say in addition to that um the first couple turns it's it's rare that i'm holding more primaries than the opponent but i think a big focus and something warp spiders are amazing at something that even you know i don't mind throwing these little five man troops away for are are not necessarily gaining my own primaries but just denying their primaries and um and i'd say more often than not it's just if you look at a lot of my scores um between myself and the opponent a lot of them are very low scoring primary games just because i'm doing whatever i can to to make sure not necessarily that i'm holding the primaries but just that they're not getting any um and i think i have enough tools and mobility and um, quick units to get there that are that are capable of doing that, and then also you know the support weapons are really amazing at that as well too. Just you know, or ignoring line of sight, they're great at killing little toughness three chaff units sitting on backfield objectives, and so um, you know going second is really helpful just by being able to score the primaries in turn five. Uh, I'd say more often than not, that'll usually get me the fifteen points there. Um, but but yeah, I think. Terrain helps <laughs> if I can be hiding behind things. That's always important. And again, warp spiders jump to those positions pretty well. Um, but yeah. yeah. Basically just try to get the points where you can kind of thing. And just make sure they don't get primary. Make sure they so. don't. It's it's it, like a very low scoring game, I imagine. Like most yeah. games. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I never <laughs> I never really score too high. Um, That's how you uh, do so well. You submarine right through there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know. Uh, it seems to work out okay. All right. All right. I don't have any more questions, Nick. I'm excited to get into the matchups. What about you? Me too. I'm very eager, Beaver. All right. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you are listening and you're not already a subscriber, go ahead and head over to theartofwar.com or the Art of War Patreon and sign up and subscribe. Uh, myself and Nick, if you cannot tell, um, the excitement is palpable. We're very excited to hear about the matchups. And you can hear those too if you subscribe. Also, you can hear more in-depth discussion uh, such as this, where we really break down the different factions, but uh, not only how they play in a vacuum, but how they play into each other uh, with clinics and stream matches and everything, theartofwar40k.com. Please consider subscribing to that too as well if you want to hear uh, some breakdown of top-level tactics from top-level players around the world. Uh, for everyone else, we'll see you in part two. Goodbye. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under, where we break down armies and new rules. Theartofwar40k.com This episode was brought to you by the Competitive 40K Network.